We are right in the thick of our winter series in the book of Romans. Um, if it's your first time here, we are uh, studying the book of Romans, and uh, we are in Romans chapter 8 uh, tonight. It's an exciting passage. Uh, it's a long passage, um, but it is one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. Um, KJ's favorite passage, it is. Um, before I begin, I just wanted to uh, acknowledge and, and say hello, um, not just to everyone here tonight, but we do record our services and um, they go out on our podcast every week and we're so grateful to the multimedia team that that do that and then they, uh, and then, you know, we get feedback um, sometimes, um, you know, thank you for your podcast and whatnot. Uh, also, uh, what's, I guess, you know, we, we live in a global age. And so, you know, we have people that support this uh, community from overseas um, as well. So um, I think the last time we had dinner, that was actually funded by um, a, an old member of ours who's actually back in Korea. They were like, you know, she got a new job and she wanted to shout our church uh, dinner. And it was a great opportunity to do that. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, globally who do support us, who join us online as well. In science, there is this uh, phenomenon called cause and effect. Cause and effect. And cause and effect is the relationship between actions of events. So something will happen, and that will then lead to something else happening. A relationship between actions of events that lead to another result. You do something, or something happens, and then that leads to another thing happening. And that's what we call cause and effect. And sometimes sometimes the cause and effect phenomenon can look like a, a domino effect. So it's like one domino goes down and then it pushes the next one and it sort of goes one and then one and then one and then one and, and then after a while they all go down. But sometimes, uh, something like that, would, an example of that is, is something like uh, you stop eating fast food. You know, you stop eating McDonald's and KFC and then that would lead you to eating healthier foods. And that would lead you to losing weight, you know, which would lead you to having to buy new clothes, uh, which, you know, which would lead you to getting married and living happily ever after. I don't just Sometimes it jumps like that, okay? Sometimes it jumps, okay? Um, but, but sometimes it's not like a domino effect. Sometimes the cause and effect is like a bowling ball effect. It's like the bowling ball gets thrown down and instead of one uh, one effect happening, actually 10, you know, 10 happen. Or the bomb effect, right? You, you throw a bomb and it goes all over the place. And sometimes it's like that. Romans 8 is an example of the bowling ball effect. Okay? Romans 8 is one of the best examples of one thing happening and a whole bunch happening out of that. And um, that's how we're going to that, look at Romans 8. Let's say Romans 8 is, is one of the densest chapters in the whole Bible. And to try to preach that uh, in our, a lot of time would be uh, quite uh, difficult. But, but I'm going to try to uh, go over the whole passage and show us the cause and the effects of what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. So we begin in chapter 1. And this is the bowling ball. This is the cause. Verse 1 to 4. Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In the last seven chapters of Romans, Paul has been outlining this idea of our reality, that we are sinners. And because of our sin, we are disconnected from God. We are not right with God because of our sin. But while we were still sinners, God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And Paul summarizes this in this passage. God did by sending his own son in the likeness, uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. God has condemned sin in the flesh, but Jesus has taken that flesh and died on the cross. Therefore, Paul can write in verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin. There is no condemnation. We are not doomed because of our sin but because of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus, we are saved. This is the bowling ball. This is the cause. This is the chain of events that is going to rattle our whole existence. There is no greater cause that will have a greater effect on your life and your eternity. And we had nothing to do with it. We didn't bowl that ball. We didn't plant that ball. No, the ball was bowled through God. We are just beneficiaries. We are beneficiaries of what God has done for us. Do you believe that? It's good. Three of you. Amen. What does this mean for us? If that's the cause, God bowls that ball through His Son, Jesus, defeats sin. What are the effects of this amazing grace that was given to us? And this is what Paul is going to outline through the rest of chapter 8. There are five things that happen as, a, as an effect of the death and resurrection of Jesus in our lives. And I'm going to run through this uh, quickly so that we know what this means for us. Because a lot of times we're like, okay, Jesus died for my sin and I'm saved and I'm in heaven and, and that's it and, and, I'm, and I'm good and that's it. But there is so much more. Okay? The first one is this. God gives us a new way to live. 
Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The first effect that, that happens in us is that we are not bound by a life in the flesh. We are not bound by the desires of the flesh that we have, but we are given an alternative, a life in the Spirit. What's the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, the third member of our God who is with us right now to help us and to guide us. Paul will then go on and show us a difference between what it's like to live life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. He's going to contrast them. And the first thing is this, it's, it's the way we think. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. When we were living by our flesh, all we wanted was fleshly things. Our desires were uh, channeled in a way that, 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 that wanted to um, appease our flesh. But now, as we live in the Spirit, our desires are not on the fleshly things of this world, but our desires are on the things of the Spirit. Secondly, the difference between living in flesh and in spirit is the, the, the difference between life and death. Verse 6, the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There's a complete difference. And Paul's just outlining this. Paul's just saying, look, this is the difference between a life in the flesh and a life in the spirit. One is leading to death and one is leading to life. Thirdly, the difference between flesh and spirit is the difference between war and peace. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Compared to the peace that is offered in a life by the spirit, a life by the flesh is at war with God. Is at war with God. But a life by the Spirit, we are given peace. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is the first effect of the cross of Jesus is that it gives us a brand new way to live, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Secondly, the second effect of the bowling ball of Christ is that we are given a new identity. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, once we were far from God. But because of the cross of Jesus, not only is the barrier of sin taken away, not only does God draw us closer to Him, but in that process, God gives us a new identity as His own children. 
The concept of adoption is an amazing concept, and, and we don't have too much time to go through it, but, but imagine, imagine you grew up not having a parent, not knowing who your parents were, growing up knowing that at some point your biological parents abandoned you somewhere down the line, and suddenly someone wants to adopt you. Someone wants to take you in, wants to invite you into their family and into their home and give you their family name and give you a part of the inheritance. Adoption is an amazing thing. And as I said, it's not just adoption, but it's the inheritance that comes out of that adoption. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is what Paul says, that one day we will share in the glory of God. Not because we earned it, not because we've done anything good to deserve it, but simply because you are your spiritual father's child. It is your inheritance that you get for being his child. The second bowling ball effect is that we get a new identity. Thirdly, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us a new perspective. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. See, in the old life, in the life before Jesus' death on the cross, we had to make things happen. We had to sacrifice. We had to be obedient. We had to keep the Ten Commandments, the 600 plus commandments. But through the cross of Christ, the third effect that we have is that we are given a new perspective. We see things differently. It's not about do good and get good. But it's about knowing that a good God is at work in our lives and in this world. And all things, and in all things, He is working for the good for us. Isn't that amazing? That God would be working for our benefit. And I know sometimes we're like, wait a minute, how does this work? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through pain if, if God is working in my life? But that's the beauty of it. It's hard to imagine this. But when we know that God is behind us, when we know that God is working in our lives, the way that we see the world is different. And one of the areas that we see it differently is suffering. And this is what Paul writes in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We all go through suffering. We all go through suffering. Um, I, I told this to, to Dave before, but I've picked up some kind of twitch in my eye. It's, uh, they call it a, stre a, a, a stretch twitch, a stress twitch. A fatigue twitch. It's crazy. Like even now, like it just twitches. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. 
So I checked up on Google and it tells me that I'm not going to die. You know, we, we all go through some kind of suffering. And sometimes we go through really big suffering. But when you have God and you believe that God is working in the background, and when you don't have that, the way you see your suffering is completely different. See, what Paul says is, he doesn't say that when you believe Jesus, your suffering will disappear. He doesn't say that. I think that's one of the biggest lies in in all of Christianity, is that when you believe in Jesus, that everything is going to be great in your life. No, I I think that's a lie. No one says that in the Bible. Paul doesn't say that suffering will disappear. What Paul says is that when you have suffering, you will see it differently. And what's he saying? That the suffering isn't even worth comparing to the glory that waits for you. That's what my dad used to tell me when I was in high school, when I was studying. Because I know it's hard right now. And, and honestly, I was like, Dad, you didn't even go to high school. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm going through. But he'd say, but what you're going through right now is nothing compared to what it would be like to get into the degree that you want, right? This is what Paul's saying. The suffering that we are going through our lives right now. As said, we all going through suffering. Is nothing compared to the glory that we get to share in when we meet God face to face. It's different. See, when you don't have God and you're going through suffering, you just sit there and you go, woe to me. You know, why does my life suck so much? Like, you know, what did I ever do? Or, or you try to work your way out of it. But you know what? When we have God, it's different. You see it differently. You know, a few chapters ago, we, we talked about that suffering that, that produces perseverance, the perseverance that produces character, the character that produces hope. That's how we see it. And we can give thanks to God in areas of suffering. That's amazing, right? It's amazing. You know, James is sharing us a story about that, uh, about the song, about, about these guys who, who choose to go into slavery and, and did it in, in, in a cheerful manner. How does that work? Well, it works because we have a different perspective. And that's one that has been given to us through Jesus. We've been given a new perspective. Fourthly, we've been given a new confidence. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, if God is on our side, then who can be against us? Who can be against us? We have a new confidence. We have a new confidence in our lives that doesn't come from how good we are or how strong we are or how smart we are, but it comes from knowing that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, 
is in our corner. I don't know if you guys used to fight when you were in primary school. I heard this story, and, and back in the day, oh, James, oh, James is a good, oh, even Albert, maybe Albert, oh, more James, oh, actually. Well, okay, I'll tell you the story, and you'll see why I'm, you know, we'll see. You know, back, back in the playground, it, when, you were, when you were a primary school kid, it didn't matter how strong you were. It didn't matter how smart you were. It didn't matter how big you were. Do you know what mattered in the playground? It mattered who your brother was. <laughs> or your sister. So James would walk around, and this happens with all you know, younger siblings, right? This is why my youngest daughter, Anna, she's in kindergarten, she rules our whole school because she has two older brothers. They walk around, and it's like they own the place. And they get into a fight with a much bigger guy, right? Or a much bigger person, and there's just, just this confidence that oozes. And this big person's like, man, I... I could snap you like a twig. And then James goes, do you know who my brother is? But kind of, that doesn't work as well. It's like Dennis Chang. Oh, I love Dennis Chang. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, kind of doesn't work in that story. <laughs> I was trying to think, who, who, I don't know, maybe Nick Lee and Janice. That might have worked. Do you know who my sister is? Janice Lee. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Parramatta sucks. Okay. <laughs> when you know, when you know God is in your corner, you can live with this confidence. When you know, hey, if you really believe that verse, if God is for you, who could be against you? If you really believe that, then you can walk around in this world knowing that you can conquer the universe for God. It's not a question of, is God strong enough? It's a question of whether you believe that or not. But that's the truth right there. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's this amazing confidence that comes from nothing to do with us, but all to do with this amazing God that is for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Now let me add to this list. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall your sin, mental illness, physical illness, broken relationships, low self-esteem, financial hardship, high self-esteem, isolation, or even your own doubt? Who, who, shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. That's the confidence that we get to have when we know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. This is our confidence that we live with. That's the fourth effect that we have from the bowling ball that is the, Christ, the cross of, of Christ. Finally, we have a new victory. Verse 37, no in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. We are more than conquerors, more than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. We have a new victory over sin and death through what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus. And what can take away, what can, what, what can take that away? That's what this verse is saying. What can take that away? You know, sometimes we give ourselves way too much credit. We think that because of our activity or our sinfulness or the way that we live our lives, that, that our sinfulness can take away the love of God inside of our lives. Wow, you give yourself so much credit. Jesus died for you on the cross while you were still sinners. You go through a dark patch, you go through a gray patch, and suddenly you think that, that God doesn't love you. How many times have you heard, you know, you're talking to Christian and, you, and you're like, man, you know, I... I've been straying away from God. I just don't feel like He loves me. You know, I scratch my head and I just think, wait a minute. Just because you don't feel it, you don't feel His presence, you don't think that God loves you, you think that Jesus died on the cross wasn't enough for you because you can't feel it? We give ourselves way too much credit. It's not like that. Can I tell you, there is nothing in your life there is nothing in your life that can separate God's love for you. I love this. I love this. I said, this, this is five. I'm preaching five different sermons in one sermon, right? But I love when we get to the, the end of chapter eight and it says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you know what? I don't know if you've been through an experience like this, but I have. Well, I, I've, I've, I've messed up in my life many times, but some really big, juicy ones. And I've sat there before God and I said, God, man, I, I've, I have messed up so much. And I keep doing it. And I keep stuffing up. How can you love me, God? And I feel like, man, I'm getting further away from God. And yet this passage tells me that is not the case. That even my sin even the worst of my sin, even the worst of my sin in the future, God's love is never going to change for me. So we have a new way to live. We have a new identity. We have a new perspective. We have a new confidence and we have a new victory. These are all the effects from the cause that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? And I, I, I struggled with this. I struggled with how do you apply such, one of the greatest passages in the Bible. A, a passage that, that, that pretty much highlights the whole story of the gospel. How do, how do I help apply so much truth into our lives? 
And I believe tonight that, that each person will, you will receive something different from the person next to you. So I, I don't think there is a blanket application. I really think that God is, is going to move in, in an individual way. But the bottom answer to what does this mean for you? What does Romans 8 mean for you? What does this change for you? And the answer is this, everything. Everything. If you're not a believer and you come to a place where you're like, wow, this Jesus guy, he's amazing. What has he done for me? Well, he died on the cross for me. He took away my sin. He made me right with God. What does it change for me in my life? Everything. Even if you're a Christian and you're like, you know, I believe in this and, and, and you know, like I, I know that, you know, God loves me. But, but, but when we start to read the words of the scripture and when we start to believe it in our hearts, we start to digest it and swallow all of these words. What does it change? It changes everything. God does not throw a bowling ball into our lives and expect minimal change. No, what God wants to do is overhaul transformation. That's what Romans 8 is about. When we recognize the need for a Savior and what Jesus has actually done for us on the cross, it changes everything in our lives, including our future. And so I really believe tonight that, that God speaks and will speak to you individually. For some of you, it's going to challenge you in the way that you think, in the way that you live your life. For some of you, it's going to challenge your identity. Some of you struggle with identity. You, you're still not sold on that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. You're not sold on adoption yet. You think God loves you, but you're not sold that day. You're actually a part of His family. Some of you need a new perspective. Some of you are going through suffering right now and you just deal with it in the, in the same way that everyone else deals with it. And, 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 and you forget that if God is for you, then who can be against you? you? Man, that one line, if you sit there and you really think and you mull on that and what that means for you, changes everything. Some of you need a new confidence. Some of you need a new victory. It said this passage is going to speak to different people in different ways, but here's the thing. It's cause and effect. The cause is the cross of Jesus Christ. The effect that it's having is transformation of all of these areas into all of our lives tonight. My prayer tonight is not that you would go, wow, that's a great passage. My prayer tonight is that you'd be like, God, transform my life because I need it to be transformed. Help me to believe. Help me to believe what these words say. And so as we close tonight, I really, as said, I don't have a, a general application. I, I think this is for you to apply for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So I want to give a little bit of extra time tonight for the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's pray.